You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Double Co Podcast. I am your host, Claire O'Brien, and today I've got something a little bit different. Um, this was a really fun episode to record. So Dr. Clinton Coleman and Dr. Siraj Sagar are two physicians in New York um, that have their own podcast that I will link in the show notes here. Um, and they reached out to see if we wanted to record together and kind of do like a joint podcast where it'll be released on both of our platforms because it's really for both of our audiences. So they are obviously two male physicians. Um, and the bulk of this podcast talks about, you know, women, women's health, women in medicine. But that doesn't mean we couldn't have a really good conversation. So we started out just talking about um, the male perspective, male physicians um, taking care of women patients and, you know, how how we can kind of navigate that space and advocate for ourselves. And anyway, it was just really interesting. We got into some, um, uh, even, you know, took some left turns, got into race. We tried really hard not to talk about COVID, even though Dr. Cigar is an infectious disease doctor. Um, Dr. Coleman is internal medicine and, and a kidney doctor doctor, a nephrologist. So I hope you guys like um, this episode. We had a great time recording it and we'll probably do it again. So take a listen and thanks. Well, I'll start off. You know, we keep, you go, I am the, probably the more intelligent, obviously handsomer version of, oh, see, see, of our, (laughs) Our esteemed podcast recommend Daily Dose. I'm Dr. Clinton Coleman. I am an internist and kidney specialist and nephrologist. And I'll let my my less, I guess, debonair colleague introduce himself. Less but no less debonair. So, uh, yeah, Dr. Stuart Sugger, uh, infectious disease physician, uh, chief of our department over here, and uh, I guess a COVID-19 as of late. And a uh, pleasure to be here and uh, to talk about something other than COVID-19. Right. Let's try not to. Let's see if we can yeah. do it. Um, so I'm Claire O'Brien. I'm host of the Dabble Co. podcast, and I'm a nurse practitioner in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, just excited to do this and be here with you all. Thank you guys for your time. Well, thanks for having us. All right. And uh, I like that you said you all. So I went to school. <laughs> so not quite the deep south, but south enough. Oh, he, so he, I, I he miss does this where, so. where he tries to make where he's from lower than what it actually is. So it's above the Mason-Dixon line. No, no. I'm from southern Maryland, the eastern shore. And that very culturally is the south, just geographically, maybe the mid-Atlantic. But the southern eastern shore of Maryland, eastern shore of Virginia is very much the south. So believe me. And just like Richmond you, is very much the south. Are you like a Baltimore hun? Uh, no, because I identify more Washington, D.C. Now I'm stuck in New Jersey for uh, unknown reasons for almost 20 years now. But uh, um, I'll always be Maryland at heart, but Southern Maryland, but more Maryland, Maryland, D.C. But the Eastern Shore of Maryland is its own unique ecosystem. So we'll have to talk about that some other time for sure. But 
we can say y'all as much as you like because I miss hearing y'all. And uh, thank you. That, we don't hear much of that in New Jersey for sure. It, it just flows naturally from the lips. It does. So I can't, I can't, I can't even help it. Good. Um, well, I know we were going to talk a little bit about. So I, you know, my podcast is predominantly kind of focused on. I will try to focus on women, um, which can be easy and hard both simultaneously. But I mean, I'd love to to start out. Um, okay, Dr. Coleman, let's start out with you. Let's just see what what were you thinking about talking about today? Just differences in what you see in your population. I know your kidney and, and internal medicine predominantly. Um, I think especially after 2020, um, the focus has been on all the social aspects of medicine, whether it's, it's race or gender. Right. So um, I think what we shouldn't, what we should not do is get away from that, right? I think um, the more we talk about it, and we try to talk about it a lot, but we, we, um, you know, as men, probably tend to focus more on the the race issues as opposed to the gender, which, but mm -hmm. the gender is important, um, and, right. and I'm sure most people probably don't want to hear as much from two men about women's rights. <laughs> But it, it probably is good to get a, a male, a man's perspective, especially as a physician and how he interacts with female patients. So um. I think it's helpful for patients to know, too, kind of where, what you're thinking. You know, we all naturally you can't help but gravitate towards what you know. Right. right. So like I'm doing it myself. I mean, I'm, I'm like, well, it's really easier for me to focus on women and women's health because that's what I know. Mm. Um, but so I, I think it's helpful for us to understand, you know, as we're seeking care having conversations with our physicians, um, just that, you know, are we, are they thinking about us as, you know, as different than their male population or, I right. mean, does, does that come to your mind ever when you're treating women? So I'll take that part, yeah. you know, just to take one step further and Clinton and I, you know, wholly embrace the idea of racism as a public health policy. We talk a lot about disparities in healthcare, right. but like Clinton mentioned, that's usually along the lines of race, and or socioeconomic status. Um, but if you look at gender issues, one thing I can say, I deal with a lot of geriatric population as infectious disease, you know, they succumb to urinary tract infections, pneumonias, et cetera. And I think one thing I realize is that when I deal with, let's say a patient's relative, let's say a, a, um, a progeny, either son versus daughter, one thing I've noticed that, you know, a lot of times the daughters are the primary caregivers, especially if there's like Alzheimer's, dementia, or other issues involved. And yeah. so, in addition to all their own issues in their life, they have to deal with a lot of the things related to being the healthcare provider, or not the healthcare provider, but the um, next of kin or the decision maker for that Caretaker. patient. I see that disproportionately affecting right. more um, uh, uh, daughters or women um, uh, more so than uh, than men. So one thing in terms of dealing with family members, I've noticed I've always have to kind of stop and take that into consideration. And then number two, I think. We all, and I think it's been well described, that men, maybe even women, may have biases against complaints. You know, that if a woman comes in with a whole long list of complaints, you know, laundry list of complaints, that this is just, well, they're just, you know, do we take this seriously? And maybe unconsciously, men uh, may disregard some of the complaints of women um, as patients. And I think this has been proven in data and it occurs subconsciously. So I think it's important for us to understand that this may be occurring as healthcare providers. Yeah. So that we can better address it, we can identify it, and obviously find ways to fix this. Because um, I think it can be a, certainly a problem um, in how we approach. And, and again, I don't think this is anything that's innate in terms of gender racism. I think this is just some things that just uh, because of society or other issues at play, 
uh, may affect how we initially um, uh, interact with patients and or patients' families. And you, you have to think um, think about who's who um, who's in charge of history and who's written books. And so this has been thousands of right. years in the making, not only just uh, of race, but gender issues, right? So, you know, rich white men uh, like are that. the ones that have taught everything, have written everything. And now in the past, right. I guess, five to 10 years, we're coming to a... Um, a Awake. recollection that this is awakening, whatever you want, that this is all wrong. So even, um, you know, even I guess he's he's much older than I am, but uh, even he in our training. very old, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's not easy to look this good and only being a year, a year only older than him. But, <laughs> but, I managed, um, I managed. but, but medicine has been historically taught of as a um, women health in medicine has been taught as, um, you know, women are just a male version of. Of, of women. Does that make sense? I'm trying to. Yeah. yeah and kind women of like, aren't like innately different. They're just men with hormones. People, right. Or children are little adults, right? So right. Like, yeah, pediatric. Yeah, exactly. They're just smaller adults, which is really not true. And I didn't even realize that when I was kind of looking at things and kind of prepping for today, and I was like, you know, in, in my lifetime, Right. is when we started to st actually study women yes, differently than men. Yeah. I mean, I. So from I was, a, from a historical perspective, um, you know, we take the Hippocratic Oath, Hippo um, what's his name, Hi Hippocrates? Yes. Um, you know, he... <laughs> Bless his, his heart. His, continue. That was funny. Just the way he said it was funny, but continue. His, his <laughs> teaching was that the uterus was like the source of like hysteria. And, you know, yeah. we, still, we still think that women's emotions are hormonal and they're Right. Their reactions to things like pain, stress is all hormone and we tend to write that, it off. And that's why exactly, there are discrepancies when, when women have chest pain, we, we're less likely to diagnose right. heart disease. When they have cancer, we're less likely to diagnose it. So that's been ingrained in thousands of years of societal norms. Absolutely. So, um, and I, I think that's why I brought up the idea of abdominal pain a lot of times, you know, or a whole list of complaints. Uh, I think sometimes there may be a judgment, well, this is super tentorial, i.e. that's in someone's head. It's stress. It's the time of the month. These are all, you know, off-color things that, you know, may come right. to mind uh, subconsciously, unfortunately, that like like Clinton said, and said actually very eloquently, in uh, an eloquent way, is that, um, although I think you meant reckoning, not recollection, but that's, that's a different story. Um, you know, this is something that's been ingrained in our subconscious, and we really have to separate this out. But I guess the idea of pain, that's been well proven that uh, when a woman complains of pain, it is perceived much differently than when a man perceives to the healthcare provider uh, about pain. And that's something that has to be changed for sure. And so if you're a black woman or a woman of color, you're doubly, it's a, you know, right. what is it? Double-edged sword, I guess. You're, that's a whole the idea that, you know, the gender and then you add racism and uh, whether it's institutional or innate or it's just subconscious, that can be extremely detrimental, right? Because now yeah. you're talking about gender issues and then you further sub subclassify it based on women of color, whether it's Native American, uh, Hispanic, African-American, Latinx, obviously uh, these are the populations most vulnerable in our current healthcare situation and system based on, you know, discrepancies in healthcare access, et cetera. So these are, you know, we're throwing out a lot of different ideas and we can dive into each one, you know, in more detail. But I think when people say, well, gee, medicine is hard enough, you know, why do I as an MP student, a med student, a resident, a fellow, an RN, why do I have to get training in culturally competent care? And I think I said the same thing when I was an intern or resident, and I didn't realize till later that how important that is and how 
actually right. deficient, even though myself, uh, born in America, but, you know, of parents who immigrated from India, you know, and I'd like to think that I have, uh, you know, a good uh, background and able to comprehend people of many different cultures, you know, I realized that I had my own deficiencies that I had to, um, that I had to rectify, but it makes you in the end of the day, a better physician and a better uh, caregiver of your patients. And the end of the day, that's, that's what it's all about. But not just uh, cultural stuff. What about like women's health? Like half the population is women. So half of your patients will be women. So it, it behooves sure. you right. to learn that there are differences and how do you treat, um, you know, your patient, whether they're male or female, black or white. Or you know, I used to joke when I got married, someone gave me a book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, or, or maybe right. it's backwards, right? So I said, well, I'm never going to understand. You know, I, I don't know why my wife's yelling at me today. I can't figure it out. But, you know, that, that that's this kind of joking idea behind it. But no, but you know that that's not obviously not uh, um, satisfactory. That's not adequate uh, as as physicians, as healthcare providers. So, so Claire, I would, I would ask you. You know, Clint and I cannot surmise that we are the experts in all things women, and um, you know I think that's reflected by why a lot of women prefer female BGYNs. I'll tell you right. on uh, my town's Facebook page this morning. I happened to notice a quote where someone was looking for a primary care physician. It was a woman who made the post, and she said preferably female. And I remember thinking for a second. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. You know, they might just relate better to someone of the same sex. But, you know, the reality is that plenty of women are going to see men physicians. So how do we go about that in terms of, of becoming more uh, competent and becoming more aware? Yeah, I think I, I mean, I was going to ask you guys, too, if you work with sure. residents, um, you know, in, in their training or do any teaching or precepting. For, for us, it's precepting NP students. But we do. Um, we do to both residents and as well as med students. I think, you know, just having the conversation and, and really and having the conversation before an incident happens. Right. So like before you've got a situation where somebody missed something because mm -hmm. they weren't taking the patient seriously, you know, as as people come into training, just taking the time. I and mean, what I learned the most from really was always physicians that I worked with that were proactive rather than reactive um, and, and saying, Hey, this population for, for whatever it is, you know, whatever we are treating them for, whether it's, um, you know, men are more stoic during cancer treatment often. Right. And so they don't ask for what they need or, you know, to vice versa for women, right. something totally different, but just having the conversation before it becomes a problem, um, you know, and, and doing it in a, in a way to to students that were teaching students or residents that were teaching and training that this isn't, you know, we're not here judging you like how how dare you treat these patients differently? Because like you said, right. I mean, so much of it is just ingrained in right. yeah. institutions and systems that have been there for decades. And which is how I mean, we you know, you and I, we probably learned some of these things in school that you don't yeah. even realize you're learning it as you're learning it, right? These behaviors and ways that we treat patients. Um, so yeah, I think, I think being proactive rather than reactive and, and in a way that doesn't make people feel like we're, I'm up, I'm upset with you already, even before right. you've started, you know? Yeah, I, And I think the key point is, as you mentioned, is relearning everything, right? Like, and that's what the whole me too movement was about um, to a certain yeah. extent, right? There's, there's parts of the society where, um, you know, men think it's okay to interact with uh, women a certain way to a certain extent, right? But a lot of that yeah, is absolutely. just learned behaviors. Because when you watch like a movie, you know, from, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, 
you know, it's not uncommon to see a man manhandle a woman or be disrespectful or harass. Or, totally. you know, and that's like, you don't bat an eye, but let that happen in real life now. And it's like, you know, it's it, it was wrong back then and, it, and it's wrong now. I think, um, you know, unfortunately, we have to learn all these things again uh, or learn it the right way the, the first time. And that includes how we treat uh, our female patients. And there's so many things, too, like when you said me, too, like such a great point, because when that all started happening, you think about all these interactions that you've had in the past. and You're like, oh, well, just really, you know, that made me uncomfortable, but I never yeah. really fully processed like that was wildly inappropriate, you know, or yeah. whatever, whatever it was. But um, yeah. And, and you know, you guys like I, I'm never going to know what it's like to have experiences as a person of color. I mean, that I will never know what that's like. So all I can do is listen and, and hear and try to empathize and understand empathize, what, right. what yeah, you've yeah. gone through and, and vice versa. Like you're never going to know what it's like to, to be a woman and unless, you know, that big changes happen, but right. I, you, you know, you're just never going to realize that. And we, we have to learn from others' experiences and, and we have to be willing to learn to, to listen to them and, and meet them where they are and not just say, well, I've never had that experience and, or, or this is my experience because my experience will never be your experience and vice versa. Right. Correct. No, that's the key is the empathy. Right. And, um, you know, I'll just add that when I was training, the only, only thing I've learned pregnancy about difference between men and women is that well, if you're doing a certain exam, just document you had a female RN in the room, you know, which is important obviously. But there was never really issues about well, let's how do we approach a woman with pain? And they may be more emotional. It doesn't mean that their pain is any less organic. Right. Um, you know, I think that those things I think are probably brought up in a better way now. Especially, I'll, you know, we were talking about how medicines change. I mean, just in our lifetime. We went from women being, you know, one third, maybe to 40 percent of a, a graduating medical class to now well over 50 percent. So the dynamics have dramatically changed. Um, I think certain fields have changed with uh, gynecological oncology, you know, so these are all very positive changes. But it doesn't mean that the answer is, well, OK, if a woman uh, wants to feel more comfortable, they should see a female physician. Obviously, there's lots of work to be done. That may not be an option. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you've been following Dabbleco and me for any length of time, you know that I'm super careful with anybody that I endorse or any partnership or brand here. So the goal is always to share evidence-based medicine and things backed by actual science with our audience and our followers. So I was thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to do a partnership with them. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you to counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way, which I think are the two biggest barriers to counseling, access and affordability. So I was actually really surprised when I looked up their rates for counseling. They were a third of what I feel like I've ever heard and what I've personally paid. Um, it solves both of the problems with literally the click of a button on the internet. So I have personally seen the benefits of counseling. I know firsthand how important it is, and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. So check them out, and they will know that I sent you, and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling if you head to betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Um, so it's super easy, betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Thanks, guys. I think, you know, Clint and I have talked that, yes, it's, it's important for having more um, uh, diverse uh, physician workforce, you know, so the reality is that 
someone of color may just me feel more comfortable uh, with a physician of color, right? And that and that goes right. back to uh, distrust of the medical community. We've talked about things like the Tuskegee uh, experiment with syphilis and other mistrust and you know even clinical trials that were uh, uh, done inappropriately in 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 the older days, so to speak, which really was not yeah. long ago. Uh, related right. to people, uh, minorities. So there is a lot of distrust. I mean, even with this vaccine rollout, I know we said we won't talk about COVID, but I guess here's my two second uh, issue is that when the, COVID vaccine, uh, when the COVID vaccine trials were going on, you know, they were actually faulted uh, that they weren't utilizing them um, enough of people of color. And that's because a lot of these uh, uh, neighborhoods and, 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 um, and communities had a big distrust of medicine in general. Right. So when you come and say, hey, we want you to enroll in this experiment of this COVID-19 right. vaccine, they're saying, hey, no way. But you know, you have to understand why does that exist? And, and there's very real re reasons. Uh, good thing to have a more diverse position of gender. Uh, but like you said, that, that's not the solution. So solution certainly is better training and really empathy, because as my wife always tells me, you know, you're never going to understand what it is to be a woman. You're never going to understand all the stuff that we have to do with. Uh, and it's true. Uh, but we can certainly empathize. And that's our job as physicians. That's the art of medicine. Right. There's the science that we can all learn. But the true art is empathizing with patients. Uh, not, you know, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy and, you know, sympathy and becoming emotional. No, but and let's be honest, we all have our biases that we have to constantly check. And I've been guilty, I'm sure, of, well, this person's just complaining. It's not really a big deal. And no, actually, it was chronic Lyme disease or, you know, refractory Lyme right. disease or it was an autoimmune disorder. I think a lot of times we're, you know, I've even had residents when I was training tell me, well, she's just nuts. You know, she's just complaining. And actually, later on, you realize, no, it was hyperthyroidism. It was something else. It was uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, whatever it might be. So, I think we have to, you know, medicine's a humbling experience and certainly our our shortcomings with gender uh, equality is no less humbling. And you have to, you and have to how think, do we... sorry, you just have to think of how pervasive it is. It's like, it's not only the, uh, the physician patient interaction, it's the training, like um, when, you know, as students or residents, you know, it's looked down upon if women want to go into certain uh, specialties um, right. you know, yeah. They give the excuse that what if you want to have a family and what if you want to have you know children and all that stuff, um, or their male co-residents get upset when they get pregnant and have to take time away. You know, it's just a or, or right. certain certain uh, genders or it's looked down upon when women want to be surgeons or cardiologists because it's too hard. Or, you know, so you know. And then you expect the, the men who graduate from these programs and start working to actually treat their female patients differently. No, they've learned yeah, this. Sure. They've learned this behavior throughout their whole education. So um, I, I, I think the key word is starting from scratch and relearning everything over again. And how do we teach women, particularly, I mean, for this purposes of this conversation, it would, it would be our, our women patients. Um, how do we teach women how to advocate for ourselves, you know, in an appointment? If So, and, and really, I, I think part of the, this is part of something that people just don't understand too. You are not obligated to continue your treatment with your doctor. Let's just say that like, if yeah. you're in a relationship with a provider and you're like, you know, I don't, I don't love them or I don't love the way they treat me or whatever it is. I mean, this is not a, you know, communist country or what a socialist where you, this is your doctor and we've assigned them to you and that's how it is. I mean, it's get a second opinion. 
Very important to have a connection uh, and trust and feel comfortable. And the reality is we have choices these days, right? So it's, you know, unless right. you're in a super we rural definitely area, do. you have access to only one specialist or provider or what have you. I mean, there are choices out there. So, um, you know, it, as physicians, I don't like to think that I'm in the customer service business. And I, I hate, you know, when people say sometimes provider and customer, because that really, it's really patient doctor relationship, nurse right. patient relationship, what have you. And that's very, uh, at the risk of sounding ridiculous, you know, sacred it is. But the reality is, is that um, it goes both ways, and the patient has to feel the same way about the physician. And they're, you know, uh, no matter what you do, there's gonna be times you don't connect to people. Um, you know, I would like sure. to say that if I've ever had a patient, for me personally, uh, to leave, it's been equal between men and women. But you know, who knows? I, you know, maybe there are times that uh, female uh, patients have left and and sought out uh, female physicians, and 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 um, I think that probably only a few years ago wouldn't even been thought of or given a second thought where now we have this, uh, you know, we have this uh, voice uh, or your voice really of, of, of letting credence to this and, and, and for us to kind of, in, you know, have a little introspection and uh, kind of mm -hmm. think about it. So this is very helpful for us as physicians really to think about it because I don't necessarily think that we're, it's still probably not such a big thing in our, in our training uh, uh, that we could look into these issues. And now, we're looking more into our bias for ethnicity, but I think gender is probably something still as we think about. So, and I think as more women speak up, um, you know, we see now in, in, in movies and comedy and all other avenues of life that it's not okay to be a sexist or a racist or um, whatever. Yeah. And I, I think that applies to physicians too, right? Like that'll weed itself out. You can't, you can't be a sexist, racist physician and have a growing practice if your patients are going to speak up for things that are, that are right. So um, I think it's, it's two avenues. It's one, people speaking up for, for the right thing. And then, you know, the yep. people who are on the other side of the coin actually being empathetic and, and listening. I think you just said it, you know, people speaking up. I, I think for a long time, too, the patient-doctor relationship and just, just physicians in general or in, in, in any, you know, I would say PAs and NPs, we're fairly new to the game in terms of the yeah. history of, of medicine, really, but have just been held in such high esteem. I think, you know, there was a long time of like, you don't question this kind of authority figure and role. And and so a lot of patients, I, I can confidently say, and I'm sure you guys have seen this, will leave a practice and you never know, you have no idea. You don't know, you don't know why they left. You, you know, you yeah. never hear anything from them. And, and we would, I, I would always say if someone, you know, maybe left and came back or came back, you know, a year later or whatever. And it, Hey, we, I, we can't help you. I can't help you if I don't know what's going on. So right. just speaking up, speaking up without fearing, you know, like retribution from retribution, your right. physician, basically, but yeah. just, just speaking up at all, because we can't, we can't change if we don't know what's going on. I can't help you if we, if I don't know how you're feeling. So just even giving patients an avenue to, to speak. Yeah. And I think it's that communication, you know, I mean, uh, you mentioned how the old school days of, you know, don't question. I mean, I obviously when I deal with, uh, Dr. Coleman, I, I tell him, don't question me. And he never does because I'm always sure. right in, in regards to him. Sure. But sure. With, you know, well, that's different. In, a, 
and that's really why any success we have is based upon that. But <laughs> with patients, I mean, you know, it's it's like medical school 101. I mean, it is all about communication. And um, the days of a physician sitting there and just speaking the word of God and then the patient, you know, thanking them very much and walking out and saying, oh, thank you, God, uh, you know, is gone. It yeah. has to be a two-way street. I mean, of course, we've also talked about the other way where it's Dr. Google, where a patient comes in and already knows what disease right. process they have because they looked right. it up on Google. So, you know, there's the other avenue as well. Um, but both avenues, both extremes are a way to have a, a communication. And, and when you have communication, you you talk and you diffuse a situation, you know, that really does build up trust. And, I, you know, I've had several patients who kind of come in angry about one thing or another and you have a, you take a time to have a conversation. And all of a sudden they're like they're, you're, you're most loyal patient and you have a great relationship with them. And that's actually very satisfying. But because that don't communication you find will only happen if someone speaks up. Because often don't you find too that something else is going on? Like you think it's all about your interaction with them or, you know, no, the diagnosis. It's, other stressors. it's, other it's stressors. always something else going on, right? I mean, sure. so, so often. Um, and particularly for women, you talked about women as, as the kind of caregivers in the beginning when we first started talking. Our family always, dynamics to play. Yep. Totally. The the kind of emotional burden of women um, yes. is yeah. is very different. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, like my husband doesn't know where the paper towels come from, you know, like or oh my goodness. like what time the kids go to school. I mean, he bless his heart. You know, he's great. But like, that's just a thing that I do and have always done. And whether I was working full time or two days a week, it's like, well, it's on me, you know, and and he's great. But because we default to you know, who's the, who's the breadwinner. And, uh, and that, numerous, that uh, is numerous times uh, to me that, you know, uh, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's hard. Um, and in our household, he is the breadwinner. Um, but you know, it's, it's not always that way in each household, but yet it's, it's still just kind of automatically going to default to the woman. So you just never know. Anyway, that's the point of that saying, even under stressful times when I'm dealing with patients in the ICU, Clinton as well, we're talking about end of life issues very complicated, very stressful things. You know, there's often different reaction from among siblings. I've always known the women are the ones who are bearing the brunt of, of, of the family dynamics and everything else. And they may seem angry or whatever, but then you realize, no, there's a reason for this. You know, they've, they've, they've had the brunt of this, of, of this care as a caregiver status for many, many years. Of course, it's not exclusive to women. Plenty of men do this as well. But I've noticed that there's probably a majority of, that this falls upon the daughter, the niece, right. whatever, you know, the female uh, uh, family member. And, um, I think it's good for us to understand that and not just dismiss someone as like, oh, they're angry or they're having a bad day, you know, or they're just emotional, et cetera. That's, that's really important and a great point. Can you guys talk about, and, and Dr. Coleman, this may be a, a question for, for you specifically too, but can you guys talk about the differences between, okay, let me give you an example. So I'm not like totally rambling, but so recently I saw um, there was some kind of chatter on like med Twitter and Instagram about how the the GFR, which is glomerular filtration rate, um, yeah. how how that's calculated on underneath labs, like it'll say if the patient's African American, it'll say that literally, and theirs is calculated differently. And I was seeing how like this that's racist and how we shouldn't be doing that. And I like I as a white person was like I'm very confused by that. Like is there so I, I guess what I'm asking is what is the difference between like, like how, how do we navigate something that is just a, you know, genetic or ethnicity or gender fact? Like, it is a fact. Women have uterus and, and ovaries. If, and if you're genetically or biologically female, where, and men do not, 
right. versus women are treated this way or African-Americans are treated this way and this is not correct. Do you, is, am I, is that question making any sense no, at all? I feel like that just no, didn't it, makes, it, it totally does. It totally does. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I just think that, um, you know, we've, we've labeled certain genders, certain races as having innate medical problems or uh, conditions that's not uh -huh. based on any data, right? The, uh, okay. so, so particularly about the GFR, you know, there's differences. Which is that's between... your thing, why, if there's non-medical people listening, like that's why I'm asking you, not just because you're so you, African-American, but you literally oh, yeah, do yeah. that every day, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, like... so GFR is a estimate of your kidney function. It's a calculation, okay. it's not a true estimate. And it's based on, um, you know, a blood test, specifically the creatinine, which is the most common one, but it takes into account your gender, your race, your age, and your weight. Um, okay. And the, the way that there's been different formulas to calculate that, but the most one, the most common one we use is called MDRD, um, Somatification Diet and Renal Disease. That's from a study um, that looked at not kidney disease, but something else and determined that based on, you know, certain dyna social dynamics that you have, that your kidney function may be different. So, and actually that's actually being um, revisited whether um, your race has a, a difference uh, based on your your, your your kidney function has a difference based on your race. Um, so that's in the same vein as, um, you know, thinking that because you're, you're African-American, you have, you're inherently at risk for diabetes, for high blood pressure, all those things. Um, and we were taught that in medical school. So um, those were used to be independent risk factors, mm -hmm. um, you know, which has no, correlation with reality, um, it, it's just, you know, part of the environment, part of society, and, and that's a historical thing. Uh, the same thing applies with women. Um, you know, GFR is important because uh, the biggest difference in the, the race is because of uh, your body weight, right? So weight. Yeah, mm -hmm. they use these, you know, 60 kilograms for women, 70 kilograms for, for men, and that's become the most common dis uh, discrepancy between uh, men and females, mm -hmm. males and females. Not that they have an innate difference in kidney function. That's just an example. But I think throughout medicine, there's been those instances where we chalk up differences and and risk and um, you know abilities and um, you know diagnosis based on inherent uh, qualities that aren't true and that haven't been basically um, a stereotype, right? Like exactly. we're taking. We're Bias, taking the stereotype yes. and putting and building it into the lab, into the lab value. But the part, the problem is we treat people based on on those stereotypes, whether they're 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 false. And just just remember, most studies, um, you know, historically have involved just men, right? Just recently, like in the right, '90s, right. women were yeah. involved in drug. I mean, I just I saw that somewhere and it was mind boggling that you know that's a new thing. Like in our lifetime, women were involved in drug studies in the 90s. Yep, yep, very new. But like, how do you, okay, so so let's kind of extrapolate that into, we now know that women of color are disproportionately affected by maternal mortality rate, right? right. And so now we're kind of swinging the other way of, we need to take in, um, take, you know, race as an independent risk factor when treating these postpartum women's. So how do you how do we determine where where we should use these risk factors 
Does that make sense? You no, know, I can't answer that because I just wanted, I'm going to make a point that's counter to Clinton. Because um, you don't want to uh, have historical inaccuracies, but the reality is that while we're all humans, there are innate differences in ethnicities. And so I'll tell you a perfect example. Um, Indian, uh, you know, the Indian subcontinent, Southeast Asia, has the biggest uh, burden of, of heart disease in the world. If you're talking right. about almost one quarter uh, of the world's population, that's a massive amount of burden of, of disease. And we realize that in general, um, uh, uh, people of Indian, from the Indian subcontinent have smaller coronary arteries. So break, uh, break-offs for, the, the, for cholesterol, LDL, HDL, and apply them to a white Caucasian are very different uh, than applying to a, an Indian American. So that's an example where you really, have well-documented, really, um, really. yeah, that's well-documented. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, we, we've actually that, talked about the show, but. Oh, okay. I got that. But I, is, I that, is that, oh, you got it now? Oh. So I, yeah. I challenge you, is that because of their Indian descent or their environment? Like, um, is that, a, does that no, apply to. No, no, so that to, is just, that is, I mean, that is, that is, well-documented anatomy. So my point is that different no, ethnicities. I, I, the, that's the anatomy not, is. Anatomy so my is point one. is that we we have to look at. We have to be careful what you said because I would actually, and that's the beauty of a podcast, is that you can disagree. I would disagree with what you're saying. You do have to look at, and that's the whole yes, idea of medicine to a certain extent. But I think precision medicine, precision medicine is precisely that: looking at individual pe- people's risk, and sometimes you extrapolate that to population. So I will tell you that right now, the American Heart Association is playing to rewrite all their guidelines for people from the Indian subcontinent in terms of when to start statins, their uh, their lipids, when to start mm-hmm. aspirin. That's all based upon, um, and even PET MRIs and how you interpret it. Again, I'm not a cardiologist, but we know that in general, the anatomy is much smaller coronary arteries, so you have much less wiggle room if you speak. So I think we have to just be careful and you know, and just understand no, that, no, yes, I, there are inherent differences, and that is not meaning someone's racist. That's just identifying that there are certain physiological differences in humans. That's just, no, we maybe need more stricter guidelines uh, uh, for people of certain ethnicities. So that's just something that uh, you know, I, I feel very passionate uh, about, even though I'm not a cardiologist, that yeah. uh, you know, based on my ethnicity that I thought I would bring up. Um, and again, this is all for discussion and for and for us to all reflect and kind of understand yeah. this is kind of where medicine is headed in terms of precision healthcare. And well, I think yeah, what we're, happens we're not, is, um, I, can I just rebuttal? Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah. Please, we're please not, do. We're not talking yes, about please. truth. We're not talking about true physiologic uh-huh. differences. We're talking about things that have been perpetuated throughout society based on no, no. So I'm race separate. and gender. But how do, it's not how all, do we know? How do I know? How do we know? How do you what know is... that that black people's skin is not thicker than everyone else's skin, so or their pain tolerance is different? Like, I mean, that's right. That's but not with a physiologic like, like a thing. GFR, like like let's keep using the GFR example. How how do we right. know that that is like until this conversation today? I, I never really had heard it verbalized that hey, you're taking because you're taking a stereotype and literally building it into a lab formula. But how do I know that there's not a physiologic difference that's causing that GFR? I guess because it hasn't been studied or what's. Yeah, that's up to I the medical know. community to take all these, um, you know, these fallacies and actually put some science behind. Them so we know that, mm-hmm. um, you know, for example, uh, diabetes and high blood pressure is not innate to black folks because if you or 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 COVID, for example. Right. So. Um, Black people in the United States are at higher risk to get COVID or or, or compli- more 
riskier complications associated with COVID, not because of their ethnicity, but because of societal factors, environmental factors. Because if, if you look at people in Africa, COVID right. is much different than than the United States. So those things you have to you have to tease out. Well, there's very specific reasons for that, which we can get into or not get into. I promise you not to. It's just an COVID. example. There's though. a whole host yeah. of reasons. Yeah. Right. And let's remember Africa is a large continent and then East Africa and West Africa, That's completely another, different makeup exactly. genetically, right? So, yeah. so just so you understand when people say, well, Africa, you know, no, there's very difference. And, you know, most North, most African-Americans are of West African so, so, descent. So That's let's say West Africa, of life. Yes, yes. Very different than some of the genetic concerns of East Africa, right? Which is very different than South Africa. So I like to keep Clinton, you know, honest and like to, I like to constantly challenge him. So as you can see, Someone and, and I love geography, so I can go on all day long with this. So, um, so yeah, but so we have to be the reasons careful. for COVID in, in, in South Africa or, new, or in Africa and the decreased incidents are numerous, um, probably beyond the scope of our conversation, but maybe we can talk about it next time. But I, I just going forward, I think it's important to distinguish between genetic predisp true genetic predisposition. One hundred percent. I think we all agree with right. that. Right. Yeah. And what the current state of someone's risk is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that is hard for most likely anybody. If, if that's not your specialty and your bread, it can and butter, be hard. It can be hard to to differentiate that. Absolutely. You might you, you might think tough. it's hard enough to deal with the medical issues to then think about the. Um, the social bias and and then also the potential physiological you know differences and, and it is um there's no doubt about it it is difficult that's that's something that you know uh, as medicine evolves um hopefully there'll be more markers that we can look at for right. precision medicine and personalized medicine uh, but until then we have to always kind of constantly look at what why are we treating what are we treating and what's the data right we're a data-driven society and evidence-based medicine that's what it's all about so and we have to keep looking not just data driven, but we're also in this place where like everything else, everything is so polarized, you know, so you have someone say, hey, it's it's racist to say this about GFR. And then you've got this whole group of providers who are totally baffled by that, don't understand right. the subtle historical nuances of it, that then then take that and say, Anything that you're now, anything now, it's almost, it's almost like it discredits what really is happening because they're in their minds just going to say, you know, not everybody's going to step back and, and try to figure it and learn and say, what, what, what does this actually mean? Why are they telling me this is racist? I'm confused by this. And so it makes the conversations harder when we're using these kind of polarizing, you know, phrases and terms yeah, without you, you don't all get of lost, the context. You don't want to get lost in the there. Absolutely. You don't want to, like, you know, that's why you, you make it open in a, in, a, in, a, in a conversation like we're having here where it's an exchange of ideas. And then because once you start, like, kind of getting right. it to be polarizing, people will say, man, this is not what I signed up for. Forget it. You know, you want people to be, be engaged totally. constantly and constantly challenged to learn uh, like I'm challenged to learn, Clinton's challenged to learn every day. You know, none of us know everything, but you're absolutely right. It has to be a conversation that's um, that is civil and uh, um, and that is not polarizing by any means and not extreme. Which, like you I said, mean, is the point of this podcast. I mean, when you're in a Twitter, you know, when you're in med Twitter, I mean, it's like 180 characters or whatever is not that's not the place for this conversation. You know, it's just, it's just not. And you have no one's you don't hear tone. You see no you know, what, what are they, how are they gesturing? You know, what are they doing? And so it's all just this back and forth. Very cool. Right. Right. We've all seen, we've all seen it, uh, on social media. Other escalates, yeah. And how it goes down a rabbit hole. I, uh, 
I stay away from Twitter. Clinton's very dramatic on on Twitter. He has a huge following. Uh, Do you really? He usually tweets about his um about his pool and his cigars. I'm on, I'm on parlor and, uh, now. How about that? And his <laughs> he's good. been banned. Like, he's been I'm good. joking. I'm Twitter. not on parlor. He's been shut down. <laughs> well, no one's on parlor now. Thank God. But <laughs> anyway, um, I, I just want to I want to end it with one. Um, so the, and the problem with medicine is that uh, most people believe it as gospel. So um, something yeah. that was learned in the 70s or the 60s, that's written in a textbook for everyone to follow until someone decides to study it again, or right. the, the current um, physician community has a problem with it. So I think we, we need to realize that we still don't know everything and maybe the stuff that we learned before may not be right. So yeah. especially in regards to how we treat each other. So. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're totally Claire, right. Thank you so much uh, for this, you know, having us. And, yeah. You know, and if we're on your show, you're on our show or vice versa. But I'll tell you what, this has been, um, you know, usually we have different ideas when, when we talk and we have, we talk about certain subjects. And I feel like this is something we haven't necessarily dived into in this kind of setting. And this has actually been yeah. very um I, I open talk about this forever. and I think just show I could argue yeah, a lot of emotion, but a lot of a lot of exchange of ideas, and also just re, you know, in the end of the day, it just kind of reiterates um, my need. I'm sure all of us that we want to learn more, and and in the end of the day, it's just about being a better physician, better nurse practitioner, better yeah. healthcare provider, and providing better care, which again, the day is is the end result we all hope to uh, achieve. Yeah, no, guys, it's been great. It, it really has been. And, and hopefully, you know, people share the conversation and, um, you know, get more people drawn to these these types of conversations, because this is where, you know, real things are, are happening. And it's, it's not in the comment section of, of Instagram or Facebook. And I think we all know that. So I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Like I said, we had such a good time recording. Um, I loved talking to these two guys and hope we'll get to do it again sometime. Um, and as always, if you liked this episode, if you like the information in this episode and want to keep hearing from healthcare professionals, please rate, subscribe, share it, share it with your friends. That's how people find the podcast and how we can keep bringing you guys really great content. So thanks. And we'll talk to you soon.